Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Beko, and we have a special guest today in this episode, Abhishek. Hey, um, yeah, welcome. Thank you for inviting me on the podcast. Uh, I, I have actually heard a lot about uh, you guys, and um, um, I, I, I'm a uh, continuing listener of the podcast as well. Exactly. It's so to be, to be here. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, really excited to have you here today. And one of the reasons why I was ex- excited to have you on, and for you guys who are listening, you guys know that in the pre in the in the recent episodes, I've been inviting you know as, um, you know professional fund managers to the podcast, and of course you know they have really awesome things to say about investing and you know, particular companies they're interested in. But I thought, you know, this episode, we invite people from the community, people who are listeners of the podcast who are not professional money managers, but, you know, equally produce, uh, you know, very, very good content uh, in terms of research. And so Abhishek is actually, in fact, part of our Slack community, Slack channel, uh, where, you know, you can talk to me directly, you can talk to the community. And there he had posted a awesome analysis of this company that we're about to talk about today. And so I extended an invitation for him to come onto the podcast. And I think this should, you know, I really want this to be an encouragement to people out there who are new to this or who are not, you know, professional money managers that, you know, don't be disencouraged by the, you know, kind of the the difficulties, the seemingly difficult. It is a difficult task, but it is not impossible task. And you can definitely do it if you're, you know, if you stick with it and if you, you know, have discipline and, and, and go through the process. So, I uh, just want this episode to be an inspiration to a lot of people, and I want Abhishek's work to be an inspiration to to our listeners. So, really excited to have you on in this podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, just a little bit about Abhishek, and I, I want to toss it to him uh, to to go into to, to go into the meat of the podcast, the company that we're about to discuss today. Uh, it's actually quite fitting the company that we're about to talk about because Abhishek himself, he is a, you know, he's been working in a construction company for the past five years. And the company that we're about to talk about is a REIT, in fact. So there's a big, big relevance. Uh, but you know, he has always found, uh, learning about investing and business. Very, very interesting. Inspired by Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett and Monish Pabrai. Uh, he's in, in fact, actually looking for an opportunity in investing uh, from a from a professional standpoint so he's looking to transition out of a construction company into um, he he's right now a um, engineering project manager did i get that correctly senior project engineer senior project engineer and he's looking to transition into investment investment field um and I will uh, put the link down below in the comment box in the description section if you want to reach out reach out to him directly, his Twitter account as well as his, as well as his blog. So enough for that. Um, I'd like to go right into the meat of the podcast. So, can you tell us the company that you've you've done research on and um, and uh, who they are, what they do at a high level? Yeah. Absolutely. So at a high level, Seritaj Group property that we are uh, we are talking about today is a retail mall REIT, um, which was basically spun off from Sears uh, with an intent to redevelop uh, its old Sears properties uh, into retail, mixed-use, and residential communities. 
um, and uh, with an average rents of four times that Sears was originally paying. Um, so uh, Sears management wanted to spun out this real estate piece because Sears had a very good locations all around the country and there was a lot of value out of these properties that they were holding into. Mm-hmm. Just to recap there, I think there's a couple of really interesting things that is at play here, which is that number one, it is a REIT, right? For those of you who don't know, REIT is Real Estate Investment Investment Trust. And it's a special type of vehicle uh, to kind of host real estate properties, right? The benefit, major benefit of that is being that, uh, the, being, the, being the tax benefit of being a REIT, right? That, that's the main benefit of being a REIT. That's number one. Number two is that it is a spinoff. Right, so it it tends to happen that a lot of REIT, um, a lot of interesting REIT that I've studied are actually spinoffs of a of a previous parent company. For example, I think a big one is people the the big one, the most famous one people talk about is off of Marriott, right? Uh, off of big hotel chains, they lump real estate portfolio into a separate company, and then the management, the hotel management, stays as a parent, as the as a as a parent company and and. Or as a, as a separate company after the spinoff. So you know, after a spinoff, these two entities become two separate entities, um, and it is usually to, it is usually done to unlock potential value that was hidden in a parent company. Right? If you were to value real estate portfolio versus a management company, is very different model. So a lot of times people spin that out, spin that out to unlock the value that's been hidden underneath a, a an umbrella company. So. Uh, interesting stuff here. Sears, obviously, everyone knows is you know, it's kind of a dinosaur at this point, right? I mean, no one really shops at Sears, but they have a they have a ton of real estate properties that's valuable, and so this company is looking to take advantage of that under under undervalued undervalued um, assets. So fantastic. So let's move on to again, uh, just just a couple of housekeeping items that I, f- that I forgot to mention. Uh, in our podcast, right, we go through a checklist, right, a checklist to make sure that we stay disciplined to the process. We uh, don't forget anything. So if you guys want a copy of our checklist, please email us at info at valueinvestor.org, info at valueinvestor.org. Uh, you can, I'll give you, the, uh, we can send out a copy of the checklist and this is what we're going through today. So that was the first question. Let's move on to the second question. Does a company have a competitive advantage? Yeah. Um, so it's, um, I was looking through your checklist uh, that you sent me and, um, it does have a competitive advantage, but it's not in traditional metrics. So traditionally I see that the competitive advantages include brands, network effects, switching cost, or if it is a low cost producer or has intangible assets. Seritage, uh, in itself, um, does not hold any of these competitive advantage, but has a very valuable, and uh, um, highly uh, populated and densely populated areas of uh, properties um, that that their value is basically still there. Um, so it does not necessarily hold any of these four, but it's a, it's a non-traditional uh, competitive advantage, um, if one may say. So, you know, for example, well, well, let's let's ask some of the some of the more fundamental, basic questions. Who so who are the tenants, and what kind of real estate portfolio do they do they run? Do they yeah. run commercial real estate, or you know, so give us a little bit more like, color on that. Yeah, just just to kind of like give some few details out. So, Seritage right now has about one ninety nine properties, um, which are about thirty million square feet of real estate. 
um and then the location of their properties is um so around it's around um, household income of $95000 um as well as the density is about 650000 people uh within 10 miles of its all its properties talking about tenants it's mostly mostly retail uh tenants um as you know that it was spun off from sears so these were basically originally sears properties right and they were retenanted uh, developed and retenanted to uh, other commercial and and retail um uh, retailers like bed bath and beyond dick sporting goods at home burlington stores rostress for less uh, as well as they were also uh, rented to um um fitness clubs and entertainment centers like Dave and Buster's uh 24 hour fitness and planet fitness and tell, tell us a little bit about the geographic footprint right are they yeah. mostly concentrated in the east coast west coast what are that what does that look like yeah so if you look at look at their uh presentation they are about 40% uh densely populated in california florida and east coast uh 42 42 49% um but they are all over they are in texas um uh, in in um arizona uh, as well as other states as well i see that makes sense so just to recap there so a lot of the a lot of the tenants here you're talking about um you know businesses right business retail business fitness business uh maybe perhaps the serious competitors right uh would would be buying into these properties uh, and they're sort of geographically well distributed even though there are some pockets of concentration did that summarize it well yeah okay great so uh from that perspective real estate is a real estate not really a strong you know competitive advantage in terms of traditional kind of uh, categories that we talk about but having said that just by the very nature of that of the fact that Sears has been operating in these big kind of um centers of pop- you know d- densely populated areas uh that in itself just the location wise is is an is an advantage um okay so let's move on to the next question i think this question is an interesting question given the fact that we are now right in pandemic um and people are talking questioning the return of commercial real estate and what that means etc so let's let's move on to this question how does how durable is the competitive competitive advantage what are the risks to the current current competitive advantage yeah um some the, from the analysis that i i did um it seems like these properties might be worth somewhere between 3 to 3.5 billion dollars uh and and this is backed by uh individual property transactions that were carried out in last 12 months as well as the properties that they sold within first 9 months of this year um originally um these were valued at about 2.7 billion dollars in 2015 for 40 million um and uh, their competitive advantage is still there because they are still able to sell these properties um at the valuation that they hold uh even if we assume that they uh, we are in a distressed situation and um uh, and the property values get distressed which happened in 2008 as well uh the lowest that it it went in 2008 was about 20, 20 to 30% right so if you if you do the same multiplier and bring this value from 3.5 billion dollars to say 2.4 billion dollars and uh, they have a debt of about uh, uh, 1.6 billion dollars the remaining equity is still equivalent to the current market cap um i would like to add that um um seritas was actually able to develop the 10 million square feet 
they were able to sell the 10 million square feet uh, out of the buy of 40 million and use that cash to develop the rest of the properties. Um, mm-hmm. And they were also able to identify some of the uh, crown jewel properties that they want to further densify uh, and add more um, add more leasing space to it. So are they looking to kind of trim down their portfolio, sell the ones that are not performing well, and use the cash that they generate from selling some of these properties and renovating them, making these properties better, right? Is that the yeah. strategy? That that's and, kind of like has been the original thesis since 2015. And and so far they are in this, in this transition. Yeah. So that makes sense. So has that so has that trend been accelerated? So is the company selling more assets to renovate more? You, I think you call it crown jewel, like the really yeah. important assets that they hold. What, is the, what has been their strategy and are they looking to grow? What, what does that look like? So they are basically, they have identified, but then as you know that you have to capture the space, then you have to go through the entitlement process. You have to find the tenant and start developing that property, right? So it takes about about 18 to 24 months for a property to, to from capture to to, to le- uh, develop and release, right? So they have been doing about 2 million square feet a year of development. Um, and until pandemic, they were also leasing about 2 million square feet a year. Um, and, um, so, so I think, I think they have been doing a great job, but then even with the pandemic, they've been able to sell the properties and use that money to fund the development. And it seems like the crown jewel or 6.5 million square feet of, uh, of uh, space is likely to come online in late 2021 or 2022. Um, when I talk about in terms of, uh, uh the dollar amount that they invest, they, they, they try to do 300 to $400 million of CapEx every year, which equivalents to about 150 to 160 square feet of development cost to develop 2 million square feet. I see. So the ultimate, so if we just take te- if we just take time to, let's say, infinity, what they would, what they would end up doing is they would just chop off underperforming assets and then keep the ones that they have, make it better and make it better and make it better. But they're not looking to go out and buy more assets. Not at the moment, but that will certainly be a strategy once the whole portfolio is stabilized and uh, the properties are rented and they are giving extra cash flow out of it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, great. So let's move on to, I think we kind of touched on this. What are the company's long-term prospects and runway for growth? Maybe you could talk about more. You can maybe add more color to what you said about these properties coming online in 21 and 22. And, and then further down the road, yeah. what does that look like? Um, so I think um, I, I do want to touch on the previous question of the what are the current risks, right, in this competitive advantage. Um, and the risks are basically a management execu- execution. Um, um, it can be a slow, long, slow death, right? Management has no incentive to liquidate the property and give it back to shareholder, right? They, they, they have to keep up the payroll and they have to get paid for anything. So... It could be a long, slow death where they could actually just keep selling all the properties to survive and until until they cannot survive, yeah, right? Um, then they can also make poor choice of tenants, right? Um, in in why in the rush of signing new leases, they can make poor choice of tenants, and instead of making a class A property, they could have a class B property, um, and then they can be in the cash crunch as well uh, um, right now. Um, and there is another another interesting point that they have a lot of um, 
a lot of JVs uh, done with the big uh, other REITs like SPG. Um, but then those um, developers are basically sitting on it. They are not developing these JV properties uh, because they think that, oh, yeah, Seritage can go down and we can get these properties at a liquidation value. So these are some of the risks that I did want to highlight up, up front um, and we can go into it um, um, later. Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, great. Um, I think we could talk about this uh, later, but okay. uh, just a level set. I think we didn't touch on this, but I think it's important to do this. Just a level set. Could you describe their, um, you know, their market cap, their top line, just roughly? Like, what what are what is the ballpark range we're talking about here? Yeah, so their their current market cap is about 800, 800 million. They have a debt of about sixteen hundred million. Um, their current rent is about ninety seven million. Um, their expenses are basically operating expenses and taxes that range about sixty million, and overhead is about forty million. So their rent kind of covers their uh, basic expenses, but they they also have interest of hundred and twelve million dollars that they have to pay to Berkshire. Uh, on the on their debt and this is what they are basically um, they're getting this money from sale of assets and they're using that to pay the interest and fund the capex right but there is an interesting thing that happened in quarter two that um, they were able to amend their contract of the term loan and defer the interest if the cash levels were to go down so for example if they just want to keep on developing for next three years and defer the interest, they can technically do that if the cash levels are, are at like minimum lows. Um, that's mm. the amendment that they were able to do. So Berkshire that was definitely backing uh, their development. Yeah, it makes sense. We could talk about, more about that in the second part of the episode when we talk about the financials. But that, that, that's, a, that's a good color to add as we discuss uh, more about the fundamental fundamentals of the company here. Okay, so we talked about long-term prospects. Actually, yeah, could you, could you, I guess back to my question, could you talk about the long-term prospects, right? 2021, 2022, coming online, they're renovating a whole bunch of space. What does the future look like for them? Yeah, so in the near term, what it looks like is that for next three years, they will be developing about six to six and a half million square feet. They have about $68 million worth of properties that have signed leases and that will start paying rent in next 12 to 18 months. Um, so that rent is coming online and they'll probably invest about $1,200 million in next three years to just fund that capex of 6 million square feet, right? And the way that they would get this cash is by selling their, um, their undeveloped assets. Um, and I think that their, their undeveloped assets of 10 million should be worth about $800 million. And they have additional credit facility approved by Berkshire of $400 million, given that they can reach their annual rent up to $200 million. So I feel like they would take this CapEx, um, uh, develop the properties and try to rent them as soon as possible to increase their annual rent from 97 to about 250 to $300 million. Um, that's basically the game plan. I see. So just to recap there for a second. So basically sell some of these assets, get financing, right? I think the key thing here is like the, the company is really looking to secure financing and, and have secured financing from Berkshire and otherwise. Make sure that the CapEx is spent uh, wisely and then really hitting the mark in 2021 and 22 and two and beyond. But, you know, right now it feels to me that from what you're telling me, it feels to me that they're really focused on trimming their assets, 
to only the crown jewels, securing financing to do capex, uh, additional capex. Uh, so that would add on to the money that they would get from selling the uh, selling these properties, plus additional financing equals you know better property, better real estate portfolio for the long term. Does that sound yes. right? Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay, moving on to the next question. I think this is, um, you know, we, we talked about this just briefly, uh, I guess, um, before, but you, you'd mentioned, uh, right, you'd mentioned uh, the CapEx, right, the CapEx involvement. And so the question here is, does the company require a lot of capital reinvestment to maintain its business? And can it grow without any further investment? You know, this is, Obviously, very important one, given the fact that it is an, you know, it, the REIT business, right? Real estate business generally is a capital intensive business. And so let me ask you this question. What do you think about them? So I think the short answer is yes. Um, you what, If you have properties that are generating uh, enough rent to cover your expenses, then you can kind of like sit back and you have more freedom to pick and choose which properties you want to buy and develop, right? And you can you can have, you have a, some selection there. But given where Seritage is, that they are in this transition, it's it's almost like a race against time. That they have to really focus on all the capex, get it done, release it, get the rent, and uh, pay the overheads as well as interest, and and try to try to reduce the debt. Right, that makes sense. Just looking at the looking at the financial statements here, um, and we could talk about this more in detail next. Um, capex, uh, making sure that the, there's enough money for capex, and just building out for the future, right? Um, yeah. Short answer: Yes, it does require capital reinvestment, but here, really, what's important is capital reinvestment in the short time horizon. This is the critical moment of in, in the business where you have to execute this perfectly. In order to in order to really step it up to the next level, right? With COVID, there's a lot of uncertainties. Really making sure that the capital investment capex stays afloat, and able to and is able the company's able to you know maintain its properties and make it better. So you're going to say something? Yeah, yeah. I, I do wanted to add that uh, while the long term portfolio of undeveloped assets has a big time horizon of five to ten years because it takes mm-hmm. a long time. The short-term goal would be to to develop at least six, seven million square feet, rent it, uh, refinance the mortgage from seven percent to maybe three to four percent, because these properties will be stabilizing after the rents and pay off the debt. Once they do that, they can maintain the cash flow and they will still have approximately ten million square feet of undeveloped assets. So they will be in a much comfortable position once the debt is financed. Uh, to the to the property level, and uh, they have uh, enough undeveloped assets to move the ship the way they want it. But right now, it's like it's almost like a race against the time. Right, oh, that makes sense. And what's the time horizon you're talking about here? Um, the short term would be at least at least three years. Um, three years. So they would really have to perform well in over the next three years. I see. That makes that makes sense. Okay, let's move on to the next question. Does a business have favorable relationships with the following? And usually, you know, we don't really go through them one by one. We just we just call out any red flags that you see, right? Any red flags that people should know about. Do they have any red flags with with respect to relationship with customers, suppliers, employees, regulators, or community? 
any any red flags that you want to call out here? No, there are no red flags. Think about it. Um, customers want better experience of retail. Customers want to have experience-oriented retail these days. Um, it helps the suppliers. Um, employees will be definitely benefited by the development and the capex. Um, and regulators, right? Think about new cities being developed around around Sears or existing locations, right? It it helps it boosts the economic perspective of that area if if there is a better real estate around. So it actually helps a lot of um, lot of uh, people. Fantastic, great. That that brings us to the end of the first episode where we talked about the fundamentals and kind of the high level qualitative aspect of uh, this company. Seritas Growth Properties. Um, I think just to quickly summarize, this is kind of a classic kind of value investing, right? You find a company who holds an asset that is not valued properly by the market. Right now, in this case, they have a whole you know ton of real estate portfolio. They have a real estate portfolio. It's a REIT whose property isn't being valued uh, properly, right? The equity is, being, is, is not being valued properly. Uh, and so... So that's kind of the biggest, that's a big story. And then underneath that story, you have interesting kind of innovative, um, you know, uh, I guess not, not innovative, but um, the sub stories of that, which is the company is selling off uh, a portfolio, some part of their portfolio to finance uh, re, uh, um, um, for innovation projects on the existing comp- existing portfolio, the crown jewels, really furthering 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 the the attractiveness of the crown jewel portfolio by selling off some of the some of the underperforming ones and securing financing to make sure that that can be delivered. And the timeline horizon we're talking about here is about three years, critical time timeline where people where Seritage really needs to execute on on this promise. Fantastic. Awesome. I think it's it's promising, um, but I think more will come out in the second episode because, again, this is, you know, fundamental kind of value investing, looking at assets that are being undervalued. So in the second episode, as we always do, kind of, you know, we go through the valuation exercise. So that's where I think the meat of the meat of the story is going to be. So stay tuned. And, um, and uh, you know, any last words, Abhishek? Yeah, um, of course. I think I, I do want to wanted to summarize that the the meat of the story here is that Seritage is difficult to value because of depressed financial metrics that it currently has um, and the solvency concerns. Uh, but if you look deep di- deep dive into individual properties, is it seems to be worth more than what the market is willing to quote for it. Um, and on, on my end, I think um, I, I think I, I write a blog um, about about my investments and I have this uh, um, analysis posted on it as well. Um, I'm definitely trying to reach out to the community, uh, the professional community to uh, to get more insights and learn from them and professionally get involved uh, into investing. So if there are any um, any uh, postings out there, uh, I would love to be uh, contacted. Um, and be part of. Excellent. Thank you so much. And, and once again, you know, I think this episode. Hope I hope this uh, this episode serves as a motivator for people out there who are not professional money managers, professional fund managers, to get into investing. Right? You can do this on your own, especially right, Abhishek. 
working in the construction industry. He has insider information about how REITs function, things like that. Uh, you can start off there, right? You have you have you have your own competitive advantage, the circle of competence. Uh, you can use that to value companies that other people cannot, and you know that's a that's a real advantage there. So I hope this uh, this podcast and Abhishek can be an inspiration for for, for our listeners. Awesome. Thank you guys for listening and uh, I hope you guys t- I hope to see you guys in the next episode. Thanks guys. Mm-hmm.